Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your new order. It's time to debut Big Board 2.0. This is called Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, and that means that we're going to do big boards. And we've now had a little over a month since Big Board 1.0. I've had the chance to watch a lot more college basketball games, uh, watch uh, some highlights of some G League game, uh, G League scrimmages, have been able to watch a tape of some international games, and most importantly for me, have been able to talk to a lot of NBA scouts that are out there scouting these guys and getting their impressions from general managers and professional scouts about what they see heading into this draft right now. And I think it's time for an update. I will say that there's not a lot of huge changes at the beginning of our big board, but as we get deeper down, we're starting to see a number of new names bubble into the late lottery, into the mid-first round, and we're starting to be able to round out our, our big board a little bit more. I'm going to go 40 deep on our big board. We're going to do the top 20 in this episode, and then we'll come back and do 21 through 40 in the next episode and really try to give you an idea of where those bubble guys are in the first round right now as well. And look, we still have a lot of time. Uh, We've got uh, all of February, March Madness, uh, hopefully uh, that will happen. Uh, Those will all be significant chances for guys to move up or frankly for guys to slide down. Uh, And then, you know, depending on what the NBA protocols are going to be as far as NBA workouts and other things go, uh, we'll be able to see more there. We also have G G League games being able to be televised, and we're going to be able to see the G League Ignite uh, starting in a little bit in mid-February. And uh, we'll be able to watch up to 15 of those games, and we'll be able to see uh, what Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green uh, look like as well. And so... It's, it's time to do some updates uh, on the big board. Uh, and like I said before, these big boards are based off of a consensus at the end of the day between NBA scouts, and general managers that I'm talking to right now about where they have these guys ranked. I'm not ranking them according to team needs. This is not a mock draft. And for the most part, those NBA scouts and general managers win the day. If I disagree with them, uh, but everybody has a guy higher than me, then he goes higher. Uh, if there's a tie sometimes, then you know I may come in and put my uh, finger on the scales. But uh, what I'm trying to do here is report what I think is the general consensus from NBA teams. And I want to start with the top five because these top five right now, uh, I, I will do my tiers column towards the end of the draft, right before the draft happens, uh, usually about a week or two before the draft. But if, if I were to do it today, I would say that there's as many as five guys who are looking like tier one guys. And if you remember from last draft, uh, when I did my tiers column, I personally didn't have any guys in tier one. Uh, when I was talking to NBA teams and NBA scouts, while there was guys that got votes for Tier 1, uh, like LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, ultimately none of them got the 50% threshold to move into Tier 1. If I, if I were betting man right now, and for that particular survey, I do a pretty wide swath of NBA teams and, and general managers and scouts, I'm thinking that there might be as many as five tier one prospects in this draft right now. And so we'll start at the top. He was number one on Big Board 1.0. He stays number one here in Big Board 2.0. Cade Cunningham, the point forward, uh, freshman out of Oklahoma State, who's been really everything that he was advertised to be uh, as the one of the most complete players in the draft who plays one of the most important positions in the draft at wing. He's averaging 18 points a game, six rebounds a game, nearly four assists a game, uh, one and a half steals a game. He's shooting 39% from three, which I think was definitely one of the swing skills for Cade Cunningham that teams had coming in. How well of an outside shooter uh, is he going to be? And so far, the numbers look really good on that end. If there's an issue with Cade Cunningham right now, and I think it's an interesting one, 
it's that he has not been a particularly uh, careful with the ball. He's averaging three and a half turnovers a game, which is which is pretty high. And he has to do a lot in this Oklahoma State uh, offense. Uh, they rely heavily on him, which means at times he's forcing things. But that's the one red flag if I'm looking at you know, just sort of overall the numbers and and what's going on, where the red flag might be. It, it's that again, three point five turnovers. It jumps to about three point eight in this per thirty six, and that's the one that I would that I would be careful about watching because his reputation coming in was that this is one of the steadiest playmakers that you're going to find. His ability to see the game, to be a floor leader, very high, and that assist to turnover ratio is really the only major wart that I can really see on a statistical profile right now. And again, I think you have to caveat that some by the fact that when you look at the team that he's playing on and how teams can really game plan for him every night, that there are reasons why I think that Cunningham might not have the highest assist-to-turnover ratio, or at least one that we would expect. I still think that in talking to NBA teams, this is his to lose as far as the number one pick goes. I think it's a combination of just a super, super high floor and a very, very high ceiling combined with playing an ideal position in the NBA. This is the most coveted position to play, this 3 and D wing that can guard multiple positions, can play multiple positions on offense, can handle the ball the way Cunningham can. And it's just the perfect combination of a guy with high floor, high ceiling, plays the perfect position. That's why he gets the edge right now as the number one prospect on my big board. At number two, a slight change. Evan Mobley moves up from three to two, the freshman big uh, out of USC that reminds so many scouts that I've been talking to uh, to a young Chris Bosh. Uh, so far, he's been really dominant, one of the most dominant freshmen in college basketball through 16 games. He's averaging 16 and a half points a game, uh, nearly nine rebounds a game, couple assists a game. One number that really stands out is that he's averaging three blocks uh, a game. So he's a terrific rim protector, which is something that I think was a question mark about him coming in. He's also show, shown the ability to stretch the floor. He's shooting 32% from three. That's the numbers not like elite, uh, but it's good, and a 59% effective field goal position. And one of the things that scouts just love about Mobley is the, his ability to get offense from anywhere on the floor. He can post up. Uh, he, he's got a soft touch around the basket. He can stretch the floor. He can also take his man off the bounce, which is something you know really unique for a player his size. And, and he has just been phenomenal early on. I think there was some concern for him coming his senior year of high school about how dedicated he was going to be, how motivated he was. I think that those all go away now and many, many teams looking at Mobley as a legit number one prospect and maybe the guy that could unseat Cade Cunningham if the team that ultimately ends up with the number one pick in the draft is in desperate need of a big guy. I know that bigs have been devalued in recent drafts, but I think when you look at Mobley and look at his versatility. He is a prototypical modern big. I think he's going to fit in really well in the NBA. He needs to add strength. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I would say about him early on. And if I were looking at a statistical profile, something that would concern me a little bit, and you see this probably most uh, clearly in his defensive rebound numbers, which are which are okay, uh, but he gets pushed around a bit. And I think that's um, something that sort of stands out when you look at Mobley. But he's, you know, he's just 19 uh, and a half right now. He'll be a little bit older, 20 years old on uh, draft day, but a guy that I just really think uh, is worthy of a number one pick and has played so well this season, it's really hard uh, to deny that he's there. Moving from two to three, and really this could be 2A to B. I mean, this was so close deciding where to put these guys is Jalen Suggs, uh, the guard freshman out of Gonzaga. And the only reason that Suggs maybe drops just slightly uh, over Mobley is just a lot the lack of elite size, if he's going to be more of a two than a one. And I think there definitely are convers conversations among NBA general managers and scouts right now 
about what position he's going to be at the NBA. When you look at his numbers right now at Gonzaga, they've been fantastic. Uh, through 15 games, he's averaging 13.5 points a game, five, uh, 5.3 rebounds a game, 4.5 assists a game. 2.3 steals per game. He shot a decent from three at 36%. Uh, has a pretty good 57.5 effective uh, field goal uh, percentage. And, you know, Suggs to me is the best competitor in this draft. And that is one thing that I think is really, really uh, exciting um, about him is the way that he goes. He's a live wire. I, I think it's the 6-4 thing. That's the only thing if he's a 6-4 shooting guard um, that are big concern. He does he does have a tendency to turn the ball over, but not as bad as Cade Cunningham. Uh, he, he also can be, you know, a little bit foul prone, though that Again, I don't think is necessarily something that teams are concerned about. I think it's his aggressiveness. But Suggs to me, or Mobley or Cunningham, all definitely could be number one picks in in virtually any draft. I think they all would have went number one in last year's draft ahead of Anthony Edwards. And I think there's an, an argument to be made for each of them right now for the number one pick in the draft. If Suggs were bigger, I think that he might be the easy number one pick in the draft. I think it's the 6-4 thing that has him going just a little bit a little bit lower. At four is Jonathan Kaminga, uh, the forward uh, that's playing for G League Ignite. And all teams really have to go on right now for Kaminga is reports out of practices and then two scrimmages that he's done. That will change in early February when we start to get uh, the G League's regular schedule. They're going into the bubble in Orlando. Uh, uh, The G League Ignite team is going to play 15 games and those games will be televised. Uh, Teams uh, are really excited about being able to see them against uh, varied competition in real games, not just in scrimmages. But I think the revelation early on with Kaminga is that he might be a better NBA prospect than Jalen Green. And I'll just give it away right now. Jalen Green is number five on my board. And so we've got two G League Ignite guys right there. Uh, They just switched orders. Kaminga was five in Big Board 1.0. Green was uh, four in Big Board board 1.0. Now they've switched. And I think the thing that Kaminga has over Green, he has size. I think the defensive end, he is a much, much better defender and and projects as a very versatile guy that can guard multiple positions on the floor with fast twitch athleticism, long arms, NBA strength, uh, and an aggressiveness and a willingness to play on that end. He's rawer offensively than Green. Green is already going to be one of the best scorers in this draft as far as just a pure scorer. A guy can go get his basket in a number of different ways. But I think Kaminga's more well-rounded game and bigger size means that teams are, are higher on him, including a couple of general managers who have just flat out asked whether it's possible that Kaminga could enter into the conversation for the number one pick in the draft. I, I, I do think that's possible if you take his high-end comp, which some uh, teams have made, which is a uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, then you could make an argument for him as the number one pick in the draft. Do I think it's likely? I, I think that he would have to dominate at the G League Ignite uh, to get there. And I think he may truly dominate at that level uh, to get above Cunningham, Mobley, and Suggs. But if he did that, I think it will be interesting because every NBA team will tell tell you that that G League Ignite competition that they're going to be playing against every night is a step above the NCAA competition. These are the best players on their college team. They're older. They're more experienced. A number of these guys have played in the league. And then if Kaminga can do it at that level, uh, playing in NBA sets, then his translation to the next level is even higher uh, and easier to make than Cunningham, Mobley, or Suggs. And so that's that's the argument for, for Kaminga. And certainly Jalen Green, you're talking about a, a terrific athlete who really has a nose for scoring the basketball in a number of different ways and a guy that is really exciting to teams because at the end of the, end of the day, getting a two-guard who really knows how to score the basketball uh, is another coveted thing and why Anthony Edwards went number one in this draft. And most teams, when they're comparing Jalen Green to Anthony Edwards, 
will say that they believe Green is the better prospect than Anthony Edwards. Uh, they think that he's a better pure scorer than Edwards. He's not quite the athlete that Anthony Edwards is, but he's a very, 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 very good athlete as well. But they just think that he has a little bit more well-rounded game, and that is why Green may end up uh, in that conversation uh, that he could move up a few spots. Right now I have him at five, but that's that's why we're talking about this draft being loaded. Those top five guys are in a tier one type of category right now. And if that stays there up into the draft, it's extremely rare to have a draft with five tier one potential guys. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the other side of that, which is that the draft sort of drops off pretty significantly, in my opinion, after those top five. And when we come back, we'll look at picks six through 12 and see what's going on with that sort of next, I think, kind of tier. This is going to be more tier two-ish, tier three-ish in this draft, maybe even sliding a little bit into tier four. Uh, When we return with Big Board 2.0, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times and Style Magazine or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this is exciting, limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. And we are back talking 20 21, Big Board 2.0. We just done the top five guys. All of these guys could be worthy of a number one pick. We're now going to drop a tier uh, in this draft, and there's going to be a lot less consensus among NBA scouts about which guy goes where here. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the Locked On Today podcast. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Okay, at six, I put this guy here in Big Board 1.0. It was a risky, it was a bold move. It was more betting on what I think NBA teams do on draft night than necessarily where he's at as a prospect today. I'm talking about Greg Brown, the Ford freshman out of Texas, who may be the best athlete in this draft, but also is one of the rawest offensive players that you're going to see in this draft. And you, he's been up and down uh, as, as a freshman at Texas. He's, he's on a loaded team. And in, on that loaded team, he's not asked to do what he was traditionally asked to do in high school, where he played more of the four He's playing the, th- the wing uh, for Texas, which is a little bit out of his comfort zone. But I actually think some NBA teams really like that because it's forcing him and giving them an idea of what his skill set is going to be uh, in the NBA if he were able to move to the three. He's averaging 12 points a game, eight rebounds a game, which is terrific. Uh, here's the number that is, is just absolutely shocking. 0.1 assists per game. Uh, he has a grand total my friends, of one assist in the 13 games that he has played at Texas. That's right, one assist in 13 games at Texas. 
that is a statistical outlier that is just insane. Uh, that one assist came against Davidson on November 30th, and he has yet to post an assist since then. And you know, look, you can put some of this on the team uh, offense and, and the role that he's able to play. You can put some of it on the fact that he's kind of shot happy and that when Greg Brown gets the ball, he just wants to either take it to the basket or shoot on the three. He's shooting 30% from three, but I think generally teams think that he's going to be an okay three-point shooter in the league. He has a 49 effective field goal range. He just is still figuring out how to play the game, especially as a wing player. Um, and I think that that is something that I is obviously going to be concerning uh, to some NBA teams. I think, though, that you've heard, or at least I've heard from a number of NBA teams that maybe the guy who he is going to be at the next level is Jeremy Grant, who has been a role player in the league uh, for quite a long time before obviously breaking out uh, in a huge, huge way for the Detroit Pistons this year. Uh, but a guy that just constantly improved on the offensive side, got more comfortable, and finally is having a breakout season this year for the Detroit Pistons. And NBA teams like these high-ceiling prospects, guys that maybe don't quite get it done in the regular season, in, the, in their freshman college basketball season, but they just project so big down the road. And I think that's why Patrick Williams of Florida State ends up going as high as he goes on draft night. And I think the same thing could be about Greg Brown. So if you're freaking out right now and saying, why is Greg Brown at six and pulling your hair out? There's lots of college basketball players who have been better than him early on. I would say you've got to think about the NBA draft, not just about what players have done, but also potential. And if he was doing what a Jalen Suggs or an Evan Mobley or Kate Cunningham was doing, then we have him in a different tier completely because he has that level of athletic talent. He's not there, and that's why he drops into more of a tier two, tier three-ish. I'm not really sure where these next guys are going to land as we get closer to the draft as far as tiers go. Uh, maybe tier two. Most of them right now, frankly, look a little bit more like tier three guys to me. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out over the season. At seven, uh, staying with Scotty Barnes, the the freshman forward out of Florida State, who's like a point power forward, is really like a point four, is probably the best way to describe him. His numbers also been all over the place this season. Uh, 10 points a game, four rebounds a game, four assists a game, 1.3 steals a game, shooting 30% from three, a little bit better, a 52.5% effective field goal range in 12 games for him. He's just an interesting prospect in, in my mind because of his ability to handle the ball, uh, because of his high feel for the game, high basketball IQ. But let's just be honest that there's a lot of things to be concerning about um, with him as well. His uh, rebounds uh, for a player his size are not good at all, especially his defensive rebounds. Um, his jump shot, like I said, has been struggling. And I think that that becomes especially even more concerning when you look at his free throw numbers, which are only at 51% right now. That is a really usually great indicator of whether you're going to be a good three-point shooter in the NBA is what, how you shoot your free throws. And 51% is actually terrible. He also just doesn't get to the free throw line uh, very often. His turnovers have been uh, you know, sort of high. Uh, and, you know, another thing that I think is is interesting and probably, again, shows a lack of elite athleticism is he's only blocking 0.3 shots a game, which for a player his size is at 6'9 is concerning. Why is he at 7? Part of it is that, again, you're seeing a significant drop-off in prospects at this point. And part of it is that that high basketball IQ, that versatility to play, Multiple positions is really intriguing to NBA teams right now, and and they're not ready to write him off yet. Though, in fairness, at Florida State, he, much like Greg Brown, has been all over the place as far as his impact on the game. At eight, uh, we're staying with Jalen Johnson, the freshman forward out of Duke, who does a lot of similar things to Scotty Barnes in that he handles the ball as sort of a point for a guy that has had big, big games for Duke and then turns around and is a no-show 
at all. But what teams like about him, obviously, is his ability to handle the ball, uh, what he does in the open court. He's averaging 12 points a game, seven uh, rebounds a game, two and a half assists a game, one and a half blocks a game, 1.2 steals a game, shooting 31% from three, 57.9 effective field goal, a little bit better. This is through nine games, so the sample size a little bit smaller for Jalen Johnson because of some injuries. Uh, but he's back, and you know the things that he does well uh, – all really revolve around uh, his ability to handle the ball. He's been a good rebounder. Uh, he's been uh, a solid shot blocker, like I said. Um, and I think defensively, there's a lot of things to really like about him. The problem with him is offensively, when you get into half-court sets, his ability to create his own shot or to shoot the three are both really, really questionable right now. He's only averaging uh, one and a half three-point attempts a game, and when he shoots those, it's not pretty. He's shooting 31% from three, but there's a lot of things that look quite ugly. His free throw percentage also, again, like Scotty Barnes, not great. It's 62.5%. So, and what's really interesting about Johnson is some teams really, really like him, and they think that he has star qualities about him. There are teams that have him in their top five, but when you watch his weaknesses, it's hard to not get obsessed with those. And everybody wants to jump on like huge games that he had, like his twenty-four point fifteen rebound performance, seven assist performance against Pitt when. He looked the part of a top five pick in the draft. But the next game against Louisville, uh, he has nine points, has six turnovers, four rebounds, zero assists. And that has been Jalen Johnson this season and why I think there are concerns about how we should be thinking about him long term. At number nine, again, we're talking about a player who has been extremely streaky and that's Zaire Williams, the freshman uh, wing uh, out of Stanford. His numbers have been okay. In 13 games, he's averaging 12.5 points a game, 5.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists a game, 1.1 steals per game. He's shooting 32% from three, has a pretty low 42.9% effective field goal. And, you know, he's a guy that just his overall field goal percentage at 36.7% is a bit disturbing. He has had his moments. Uh, the opening game against Alabama, he looked really good. And I would say that the last week or two, he seems to have found his groove a little bit more, is starting to play better. Uh, a game against Utah was a, a pretty solid game where he hit four three-pointers in that game, which I think is really important uh, for him. But only those were the only shots he hit all night. And one of the things about him is that the skill level is extremely high. And that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to NBA teams. But he needs to get stronger. And because of his lack of strength, he struggles to finish around the basket. I think that's one of the big concerns about him uh, right now. Uh, he's uh, pretty uh, pretty turnover prone, uh, 3.5 turnovers a game right now. When you watch him play, he looks like, and this is the first guy that I would I would say this about at this level, he desperately needs another year at Stanford to really work on his body, to get stronger, to improve on his weaknesses. But the talent level is so high. I, if he comes out now, I think he's still a lottery pick. And you know, you could say that about several players in this pro, in this draft, and maybe even several players that we've talked about already. But Zaire Williams, to me, is the first guy that really stands out uh, in that vein. So does the guy that is number 10. He's moved up a few spots on our big board. Keon Johnson, the freshman shooting guard out of Tennessee. And the interesting thing about Keon Johnson is he, he's been on and off as a starter. He hasn't had a big, really, year by any stretch of the imagination. He's averaging 8.9 points a game, three rebounds a game two assists a game, you know, one steal a game. He's only shooting 23% from three, which is pretty disappointing. His effective field goal percentage is at 47.1%, which also isn't great. Uh, but 
what he brings is energy. He brings athleticism. He's a terrific uh, defender, which is something that if you look at the plus minus uh, numbers, you're going to see something that I think um, is really intriguing uh, as well. Um, and he's really young. He's one of the youngest players in this draft. He's still 18 years old. And I think that because of that and because of the role that he's being asked to play at Tennessee right now, there is a sort of feeling that you can't judge him exactly the same way that you can judge some of these other freshman prospects who are really being asked to lead their teams. He's a role player on Tennessee. Uh, his minutes uh, are only 21.7 minutes a game right now uh, at Tennessee. And when he's, uh, when he's given uh, more of a chance, uh, his, his numbers improve. And so I think that, again, it's going to be a little bit like uh, when we're talking about Zaire Williams here, is he ready for the NBA? No, but at least he's got the NBA body. At least he's got the defensive intensity. The upside still there is really terrific. And I think Keon Johnson ultimately ends up as a lottery pick if he goes in this draft. At 11, James Booknight, uh, shooting guard, uh, sophomore out of UConn, really started the season red hot. Uh, a lot of people, I think, thought this is a guy who is worthy of like that top 10 uh, performance, averaging 20.3 uh, uh, points per game, uh, 5.3 rebounds a game, 1.7 uh, assists per game, 1.5 steals per game. Wasn't shooting it great, 32.4% from three. His effective field goal percentage is at 51.1%, which is just okay. Um, but I think, uh, and then he, then he injured his elbow. And when he injured, injured his elbow, we haven't seen him uh, since that January 5th game at Marquette is the last time we've seen him play. We expect him back just in what we've read in the media sometime in February, whether it's the beginning of February or the middle of February, I think is something that's still up in the air. And so we haven't been able to see enough of him to know whether that, that six-game breakout warrants him moving up the list or down the list. So he's sort of just holding uh, there at 11, but certainly one of the few guys in this draft after those top five guys that are putting up significant numbers and look like a guy who can light it up uh, concerning a little bit, lack of size. He doesn't really have point guard skills and you know, his, his three point shooting at 32%. Certainly you want to see better uh, from him going forward at 12. We're going to go with a guy who is a bit of a polarizing prospect, but seems that the polarization is beginning to fade away. And that's David Johnson, the sophomore point guard out of Louisville. He's a big point guard. For people that have followed me for a long time, they know that I do love big point guards. He's at 6'5", 210. Uh, he's also you know, pretty, pretty young. Uh, he's 19 still uh, for a player that's a sophomore. And through the first 14 games for Louisville, 12 and a half points a game, six rebounds a game, three and a half assists a game, a steal a game. One thing that's been a huge factor for him in moving up the board has been his three-point shooting. He's shooting 40% from three this season, which is something that NBA teams are really happy about. He averages almost two threes, one and a half threes made uh, per game. And that that is a big deal. And the other thing that's been a big deal, and you know, John Hollinger and I joked about this, in uh, in a podcast that we had before, is he was a turnover monster, absolute turnover monster uh, as a as a freshman, and he came back as a sophomore and was doing it again. And one of the wildest players you'd ever seen, a very creative passer, can see the floor, can do a lot of great things, but just turned the ball over too much. And one thing that I would say is that he started tone that down uh, a little bit. Uh, if you go for a stretch in January, uh, he had a one turnover game against Boston College, a one turnover game against Wake Forest, two turnovers against Miami, uh, two turnovers against Florida State, only two turnovers against Duke. He's really had only one bad turnover game in the last month, and that was against Clemson on January 27th when he put up uh, five uh, turnovers in what um, just had to be one of his worst uh, games of the year. Uh, at at Clemson. But I think that if that trend continues and he shows that he can take care of the ball more, 
then he is a much more intriguing prospect because he's got NBA body, he's got athleticism, uh, he can play the one and the two. If he can stretch the floor like that and keep from turning the ball over, I think he's absolutely worthy as a t- as a top 12, 15 guy uh, in this year's draft. If those turnovers start creeping back up or if that three-point percentage that we've seen him really improve uh, dramatically this season, start to creep down, then he could slide into the late teens, early 20s on draft night. All right, that's the first 12 guys on Big Board 2.0. When we return, we're going to talk about picks 13 through 17, and we're going to have a few guys on this list uh, that were not in our Big Board 1.0. Some freshmen that have really lit it up uh, lately that have crept up our big board, and we'll do all that when we return. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, Apple Almond Crisp, that's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot, about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. That's builtbar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we are back talking 2021 NBA Big Board 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and we have broke down the top 12 picks uh, in the draft. But before we get into picks 13 through 20, I want to turn you on to one of my favorite podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Rejecting the Screen. Host Adam Stenko and Noah Kozlov are honoring Kobe Bryant's life and career with a two-part special podcast event. Hear stories you haven't heard anywhere else about Kobe from teammates, opponents, coaches, and journalists. Get both parts by subscribing to Rejecting the Screen podcast feed after this podcast. I've been on this podcast. It's one I listen to regularly. I really love it. You should check it out. And especially if you're a Kobe Bryant fan, I think you're going to get information on Kobe that you've never heard before. And these guys just do an amazing job. There's no Kobe Bryant's in this draft, unfortunately. And when we get to pick 13, you're starting to get into another round of iffiness. Either we're really projecting on some of these freshmen or vice versa, we're taking some older prospects who are actually playing really well, but maybe there's a reason that they've been not in the NBA already. At 13, new guy to our big board, Sharif Cooper, uh, the point guard freshman out of Auburn, uh, who had to sit out uh, Auburn's first month, month and a half of the of the season uh, some, for some NCAA eligibility issues, and has just been wildfire uh, since he's returned uh, to Auburn. And to, in in my opinion, one of the funnest players to watch uh, in this draft. He's just electric with the ball. He can get anywhere on the floor. Um, he is a super creative passer with a great, great feel for the game. And his numbers have been just dominant for a a freshman. 21.3 points per game in the first seven games, 5.3 rebounds a game, which is pretty amazing since I doubt he is going to be six feet tall when the NBA measures him. Uh, 8.1 assists per game, one steal per game. And then there's some ugly numbers. He's shooting 19% from three in those first seven games. 
uh, 42% effective field goal. That's ugly. And for all the speed, quickness, ability to get anywhere on the floor, uh, his, his feel for the game and ability to set up teammates, he's just small. He's listed at 6'1", 180. I, I doubt both of those numbers. He doesn't look that big. Uh, and you see that it affects him at times in finishing at the basket um, or even getting a shot off on the perimeter. He's got a sort of low and slow release on a shot, which is not great for a player his size. And just look, NBA teams generally don't get super excited uh, about prospects that are six feet maybe going to be 5'11 in socks when he gets measured uh, at the combine. But there's so many intangibles that Cooper brings to the table. I've just really enjoyed watching him. I've got to see him play several times. I saw him uh, play against Kentucky. Uh, I saw him uh, play against Missouri, uh, against Baylor the other night, which I think was a little bit of a tougher game. Um, And I just think that when you look at the overall trajectory of where this young man is going, he gets to the line, he makes things happen on both ends of the court, and I think that somebody is going to take him as an energy guard that comes off the bench uh, and can just make plays happen. Uh, he he would be, for sure, in my opinion, a top 10 guy uh, if, if he was bigger and maybe like a top 7, top 6 guy. Uh, if he was a, if he was taller, uh, but the fact that he's six feet is really the thing that's that's hurting his stock. And and now look, I'm being a little bit aggressive with a 13th. Uh, talking to some NBA teams, they'll tell me that they just really don't want players his size on their roster, so it's a it's a hard no for them. And for, for other teams, they think that they're going to get value here because of the high high level of talent um, that he has, despite the fact that he's so small. Where he ends up on draft night, still getting a feel for that. But if you're if we're just ranking on talent right now, uh, he's probably underrated at 13. At 14, it's Corey Kispert, the senior uh, small forward out of Gonzaga, who brings one skill to the table. But man, is it a skill! Uh, in 17 games, he's averaging 20 points a game, five rebounds a game, couple assists a game, shooting a red hot 49% from three. And his effective field goal percentage is ridiculous. It's 70.2%. And this guy is the best shooter in this draft, uh, the most efficient shooter in this draft. He can get a shot off from anywhere. Uh, and and I don't think he's necessarily a liability on the defensive end. And I think that's one of the things that's you know unique about um, him when you think about players that are typically known to be you know great shooters is that they're going to also get lit up on the defensive end and his defensive box uh, plus minus scores are are aren't, aren't great I, i'd say they're like a, a small strike against him but i think that everything else that you're talking about this guy from an office offensive standpoint is just so terrific he's shooting 90 percent from the free throw line uh, he is going to come into the NBA. You know what he's going to do. You don't. You're not going to ask him to do much more than that. But he's going to fit into that Joe Harris type role in the NBA, and I and I think he'll have a long career. At 15, it's Joss Christopher, the shooting guard freshman out of Arizona State. Another guy that's been, I, I think he's been kind of polarizing. Some teams really like him. One of the high, very highly ranked coming out of high school. Other teams a little frustrated. Uh, you know, he's his numbers, 15.3 points a game, uh, 4.8 rebounds a game, 1.5 assists a game, 1.6 steals, steals a game, which is pretty good. Uh, he's a scorer. Uh, that 32% from three is a problem. He's going to have to shoot the ball better uh, if he's going to get attention. Uh, but for a guy that you're looking to be able to put the ball in the basket – uh, I, I think he can do that. It's it's a frustrating team at Arizona State right now. I'm not sure that you always see the best of him uh, every night. I think that also affects Marcus Bagley as well. Is he going to be a star at the NBA level? I, I'm not really sure about that, but I think he's a good enough scorer that I'm surprised that he's not getting more attention in this this realm. And then, you know, at 15, he's right on that lottery bubble. At 16, Brandon Boston Jr the wing freshman out of Kentucky who had his eye on being a potential number one pick in the draft uh, before the season began has had a absolutely brutal 
career at Kentucky has lately played better for the most part, but most of the numbers are are really tough. He's averaging 12 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game, 1.3 assists a game, 1.3 steals a game, shooting 18% from three, which is just mind boggling because this was not really a major issue for him coming out of high school. Only 36% from the field. He has a terrible time finishing at the rim because he lacks strength. Uh, drives John Calipari nuts. Just his decision-making, his feel for team basketball right now is off. He is the next guy that I would talk about that, in my opinion, desperately, desperately needs another year of college basketball to get stronger, to get tougher, to, to do to do a better job at every level of what he needs to do better at. But I'm not sure uh, that that's what he's going to do. I think he's had his heart set on the NBA. And if he declares for the draft, I think someone takes him in the late lottery to mid first round. And I think one thing that they'll point to is that he's had lately some better games against Georgia, uh, against LSU. Uh, He started to show up a little bit more. And when he shows up, he starts to look a little bit like a lottery prospect again. Unfortunately, there's lots of other games like uh, two games that he's played against Alabama uh, where he's really, really struggled. And when he struggles like that, you scratch your head a little more and say, you know, maybe not. Uh, I still believe that Boston is going to be like Jaden McDaniels and that someone is going to take a chance on him. Now, Jaden McDaniels slid all the way to the end, the very end of the first round. Uh, But I think that this draft doesn't have the depth of the 2020 draft. And because it doesn't have that depth, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see him slide uh, that far. At 17, it's Moses Moody, the shooting guard freshman out of Arkansas, who I... It's, it's a, this one's a really tough one for me because he does two things that I think NBA teams have to really be you know interested about. One is that he's a really terrific shooter. He's only shooting 36% uh, from three at Arkansas, but I, I don't think that that's going to be a big issue uh, when you think about it overall. Um, two is that he's got a really great length uh, for his position right now, and he's had a really solid freshman season averaging 16.6 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game, 1.7 assists a game, a steal a game. Uh, he's not the world's greatest athlete. Uh, I'm not sure that ultimately he's going to be a great defender in the NBA. I think you're going to have to hide him a little bit on that end. But I think when you look at Moody and what he's done this season, his production level is been better than Josh Christopher, uh, Brandon Boston, uh, you know, for example. Uh, teams just don't seem quite ready to pull the trigger on him yet and put him above those guys that were maybe a little bit higher ranked uh, coming coming out. At 18, it's Day Ron Sharp, uh, the center freshman out of North Carolina, whose numbers won't wow you, but if you've watched him game film, uh, you know that this guy has one of the highest motors uh, in college basketball. In 16 games, he's averaging 9 points a game, 7.7 rebounds a game, 1.5 assists a game, a steal a game, 49.6% effective field goal. He's an old-school big guy, hasn't made a three uh, this entire season. Uh, He does his damage in the paint. Uh, where he's just so active, and you know his he's got a pretty good feel for the game. I've actually really enjoyed watching him play. I think he is definitely the best prospect on North Carolina um, as a freshman. I think he's young, um, and you know those steals number is really interesting for a big guy. And again, I think it talks about his hustle and his energy wherever he goes. And he's going to have the size and strength, I think, uh, to play in the NBA uh, to be an energy type guy. And given the lack of like elite depth in this draft, I think that that's pretty much all you can really ask for at this point in the draft. At 19, uh, this is his first uh, introduction to our big board. Uh, not, he wasn't on big board 1.0. He is on big board 2.0. Cam Thomas, the freshman shooting guard out of LSU, who has been putting up maybe next to Sharif Cooper, the best numbers as, as a freshman in college basketball through 16 games at LSU. He's at 22.3 points a game, 2.6 rebounds a game, 1.4 assists a game, one steal a game. 
He's shooting 28% from three. And this is a very high volume scorer who has the green light to do whatever he wants to do at LSU right now. He a little bit undersized for his position. He's not an elite athlete. And you might be wondering, how is a freshman who's averaging 22 points a game not in your top 10? And it's for all those reasons, the lack of a jump shot, the lack of elite athleticism, the lack of great size for his position, the inability to do much else but score the basketball are all sort of reasons that I think teams are wary of Cam Thomas right now. And I know some people aren't, and I've seen some uh, boards where he's been much, much higher uh, I just I question whether that's where he's going to end up on draft night. I think he's much more comfortable in these late teens, early 20s as far as a draft prospect goes. And at 20, Jared Butler, the guard junior out of Baylor who's having a terrific season like college basketball player of the year type season. Uh, for Butler, undefeated team this year, averaging uh, nearly 17 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game, five and a half assists a game, 2.3 steals a game, shooting 45% from three, have a, has a really terrific 59.6 effective field goal posi- uh, um, number. And the thing about Butler is he's just a guard. He can defend ones and twos. He can play offensively one and two. He can really shoot the basketball. He's tough. He's not a super explosive athlete. He's not a guy necessarily that's going to wow you. I don't think his ceiling is particularly high, but I also think he has a super high floor with a high basketball IQ, the toughness that NBA teams want, and the ability to just grind it out. And if he can project as a point guard because he doesn't have elite size for his position, then I think you're talking about a guy that is really worthy of of a pick in the late teens, um, early 20s. I mean, he, he just statistically, he pops in just about everything other than that he doesn't get to the line a lot. And that's, you know, maybe the biggest concern for him is that he's so perimeter oriented. Uh, But he's had some just huge games of late, a 30-point outing against Kansas. I came back the next night with a big, big game uh, against uh, Oklahoma State. And in those games, he was 13 for 16 from three, uh, which are just ridiculous numbers. So he's taking, taking a lot of threes. I I love him. I think that he brings so much uh, to the table. Again, not the sexiest prospect, but a guy that I think more and more teams are getting comfortable with. This is the guy that you can take. You can plug him in. Teams that are drafting in the late teens, early 20s are playoff teams that could use a guy like this that could come in, play either position off the bench. And I think that's why uh, Butler uh, moves up a couple of spots uh, to 20 on big board 2.0. Next podcast, we're going to do picks 21 and we're going to go all the way to 40 and talk about those 10 guys that are on the bubble. I'm building out my big board right now all the way to 60, but I think we're ready to do to go all the way into 40 uh, next time. And so on our next podcast, we'll do 20 through 40. We'll talk about those bubble guys. We'll talk about some guys we haven't yet talked about uh, on this podcast, uh, a couple of international guys, and just a couple of guys we just haven't really had the chance to to spend time talking about, like Charles Bassey, uh, for example, the center out of uh, Western Kentucky. So when we come back, uh, that will be Big Board 2.0, Part 2, Picks 21 through 40. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.